Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this episode, we're going back to 1976 and watching All the President's Men, starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Sometimes our reasons for picking a movie are a bit of a stretch, but for this episode, there are almost too many connections to list. For one, Steven Spielberg's latest film, The Post, hits theaters this month, which tells another story about the Washington Post's run-ins with the U.S. government. All the President's Men also feels especially relevant given the current political climate. And if you need another reason, Dustin Hoffman's inclusion in the growing list of men who have been accused of sexual misconduct made us wonder if it's difficult to watch him or any of the other accused the same way again. Regardless of how the movie plays in the present, All the President's Men was a hit upon its release. It won four Oscars in 1977 and was nominated for four more, including Best Picture. Over the decades, it has entered the conversation whenever people discuss the best movies of all time. Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman's performances still resonate, and the portrayal of tenacious and thorough reporting has inspired journalism students ever since its release. But does good reporting make for a good movie? Or have all the secret meetings with a garage freak lost their luster? Keep listening. Yes, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking for a fight either. I'm just aware of the fact that you've only been here nine months. What does that got to do with anything? Well, I've been in the business since I'm 16. What are you saying? Well, I'm trying to tell you that if you'd read mine and then read yours... May I read yours? Yeah. I walked by, gave yours a glance, it didn't look right, so I just figured I'd refine it a little. That first paragraph has to have more clarity. The reader's going to understand it. You don't mention Colson's name for the third paragraph. I think mine's better, but you go ahead and read it. If you think yours is better, we'll give yours to the desk. I've got Colson's name up front. He's a White House consultant and nobody knows right. it. Yours is better. So that's the two stars of the movie we're discussing today, All the President's Men. That's Robert Redford and uh, Dustin Hoffman playing Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, uh, Washington Post reporters in the 70s. Um, Local reporters at the time. Yeah, um, running the Metro Beat. Doing the Metro Beat, and mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, Carl Bernstein punching up uh, Woodward's writing a bit. Mm-hmm. In the movie, this is sort of the uh, beginnings of the partnership that will uh, eventually uncover the entire Watergate scandal. Yeah, and it, and it really kind of sets the scene for what their dynamics are, because Bernstein kind of does that without permission, mm-hmm. and uh, Woodward is... A little more level-headed, it seems, yeah. and uh, well, he's, yeah, more a little more maybe by the book. Yeah, he's fine with being corrected and helped, but just ask me. Yeah, first, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do me uh, that. Do uh, me that courtesy. A please would have yeah. been nice. A thank you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Manners is really what he's looking for. It's just it's good a, manners. Yeah, and this um, is a movie about manners. Yeah, exactly. Well, welcome back, Ryan. And you know, I think actually we didn't really take a break as far as uh, episodes being released, but uh, right. it felt like a break because yeah. we haven't actually we recorded, recorded earlier in December yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so good, it's good to be back. Good to be back. I, I don't know what you did in your, in your little vacation time off of this podcast. I know I tore through a ton of movies. I don't know. Yeah. If you I ended did. up watching a lot too. Yeah. So I feel like I'm, it feels good to talk about movies again. Cause I feel like I've just been watching yeah. them like crazy. Just, yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw a good, a good handful 
over break. Newer ones, older ones, combination? Newer, uh, yeah, things that came out last year. Yeah. I, I found, I, I kind of realized I don't really go back and watch old movies aside from for this, hmm. uh, which kind of bummed me out. I kind of made that actually a little bit of a, a New Year's resolution to uh, go back a little bit more. I should, uh, yeah, because at this point, if it doesn't come out in the future, it, it, I've, it, I've kind of resigned to not seeing it. Like, of the old movies I haven't seen, it's almost like... I will never see them if I don't change something. <laughs> but yeah, I saw some some really great movies, some challenging movies. Anything that, uh, and this is a little off topic, yeah. anything that really... Uh, uh, Mother. I watched that last night. I we, I would love to talk about it sometime. Sometime, I, yeah. Uh, a li- what really made the movie make sense for me was reading uh, um, Alyssa Wilkinson's writing from huh. Vox. Yeah. She really... A great like writer. She just nailed yeah. it. Like got huh. that movie. Yeah, she was one of those that was really championing it. Um yeah. and I uh I really like I really like the movie actually. I really uh, a I lot, really lot. Liked in fact, it too. in fact, if you go to my letterbox, which we'll talk about letterbox in a second, at the moment, it is my number one movie of twenty seventeen. Wow. But there's some I there's some big I ones I haven't that. seen. I can um, see that, yeah. But, I really I really enjoyed it too. I'm glad you saw it. Yeah, I saw another uh kind of smaller one called Columbus that I really liked. Did you oh, hear about that one? No. Uh, by uh, he's a Korean American director. Ko- he goes by a name Kogan Koganada, I think is mm-hmm. how he goes by. Um, but Columbus is Columbus, Indiana, um, and it's a whole uh, little you know kind of like a link ladder style, like oh, okay. boy girl musing type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cho from you know Harold and Kumar fame mm-hmm. um, is one of the uh, leads in it, and um, it, it's a really beautiful film. Like the camera barely moves at all, mm-hmm. and and the architecture is sort of a character in in the movie. But, yeah, uh, now that I, I'm looking it up, I I do remember that I've heard of that, but I hadn't heard anything other than seeing like a trailer for it. Or yeah, I I, I highly recommend it. I think okay. it's, I think it's pretty good. Good, but yeah. Anyways, let's get back to uh, all the presidents. All men, the yeah. presidents' men. Um, you know, we'll we'll do our normal thing here um mm-hmm. talking about uh maybe first time watching it uh do you do you have well, a story the f- first time i watched it is also the last time i watched it it was in college and it was for a journalism class hmm. I, I think it's pretty commonly shown in journalism classes for good reason um so i you mean the manners the manners of it yeah, yeah. just a real lesson in mm. in politeness <laughs> yeah. um and I it's kind of funny because I teach a film class now, so I'm showing movies in class and hoping kids are really watching them and getting something out of it. But I feel like my recollection of watching movies in class was that like if it was for a class, I didn't really like invest in the movie mm-hmm. much. Yeah, um, it but, also usually got split up to right, like yeah. in chunks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, with all the presidents, man, I, I will admit I, I watched it a little bit like that, like that sort of okay, this is for learning um but i also was pretty engrossed in it and so as as far as uh watching movies in class uh exercise went it was one of the ones that i I remember liking a lot but because we were kind of framing it through that like now watch how they fact check look watch how they approach interviews um it was it was um nice to watch it this time just kind of enjoying it as a movie uh and, and kind of a classic movie now the rating I would have given with the you know in class viewing would probably have been about four stars. Sure, um, but with the kind of caveat that I feel like I didn't really watch it for what it was necessarily. Right. Yeah. You know. 
Well, I know what you mean because I, that's the first time I watched it was for a journalism class too, and mine happened to be a high school journalism class, so I was even less invested, I think, yeah. <laughs> than I would have been in college. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a really great journalism teacher in high school, though. Um, but uh, I think when you're watching a, a movie for class, especially if it's not a film class, yeah, you, you're kind of questioning whether you should even care about the movie because you know right. why they chose it. They chose it for the content yeah. of what it's showing you. So sometimes in history class, you might watch like a historical movie but it might not have actually been the best movie it's just a movie that shows what they need to teach yeah (laughs) so i i did like all the president's men but i don't think i i was like you i just kind of watched it as a class movie and Mm -hmm. didn't really think i needed to pay that much attention to it as a movie right right um but i liked it enough it was fine and then i actually watched it again during that period that we often talk about that post-college period of just trying to to tear through movies that you feel like are are blind spots and yeah. all the presidents men I felt like I remembered so little of it I wanted to watch it again and it was also I was at the time watching a lot of seventies cinema mm-hmm. so it's kind of brought up a lot in that conversation yeah, as well seventies yeah. American cinema and um, I loved it that time so if yeah. you look on my letterboxed rating um, it, it's it's been a five star movie for me yeah. That had probably been still over 10 years ago. So I was excited to watch it again sure, uh, yeah. for, for another time and just see, especially as we talked about in our introduction, where we're at right now with the political climate and yes. especially even even the Washington Post itself, you know, yep. and, and the kind of reporting it's doing now of, you know, the Trump administration. And I was excited to dig in and just see like, okay, so is this does this movie still speak to us or does it almost seem like naive or like yeah yeah like uh, it would have been nice to go back to that time or yeah or or, something. or or even like was it pie in the sky about journalism and the way that we can't we can no longer be you know mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff and i think those are still great questions to talk about with this movie but those were kind of what i had in mind as i was watching it this time yeah definitely and i've also um read a lot more about the nixon era uh mm. you read like of, nixon land right yeah a while ago and mm-hmm. yeah yeah so and frost nixon of course oh gosh <laughs> i mean that's always there it's just <laughs> one of those yeah yeah so how was uh, this movie going to compare just since an frost evergreen nixon come out? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i feel like i know a lot more about um watergate and i definitely was able to watch this movie without needing to like oh wait 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 so who's this halderman like you know i I kind of i kind of have that knowledge just the baseline understanding that i feel like audiences at the time would have been you know sure yeah i mean this was definitely coming out i think it was even being produced as watergate was still on like the the stories had obviously come out but what i was reading was that uh redford was already trying to get the movie rights Mm-hmm. Um, before the book was even written. Yeah, while they were writing while, the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was definitely fresh in everyone's minds at yeah. the time who was yeah. watching this. Yeah. So um, it, it's been, it was nice to watch it ha- having at least some knowledge that, I mean, when I watched it in college, I, I knew about Watergate, but I was I was pretty lost with the names. And I think know, the I most really I knew was piece anything together. Yeah. Some kind of, I think the, the most I knew of Watergate when I watched it. Um, was the burglary Watergate scene in Forrest Gump? Oh right, <laughs> where yeah. Forrest Gump where is the one the, who calls yeah. the uh, That's right. That's <laughs> saying right. that the power's gone out or something because there's guys in flashlights <laughs> down there. Um, and then um, just the famous, you know, Rick's, Nixon resignation speech and and the, what mm. happened in between those two things was a complete mystery to me. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. So uh, my letterbox is four, um, and I think that I would, I would uh, absolutely four and a half, and possibly even five. Yeah. Um, for the rewatch, re sorry, the rewatch, um, because it's just, I mean, it, it slots in so well with, you know, network and um, some of the other movies that you and I have found speak to us and mm-hmm. kind of are the ones that have stuck with us. Then the connections, just like you said, to the current political climate and as things are being uncovered and, you know, unnamed sources mm-hmm. and a lot of people are talking down unnamed sources like it's an unprecedented and always suspicious sure. yeah. practice. Yeah. This is a, this is a story that, that shows that sometimes unnamed sources are the only way to be able to yeah. progress in your investigation, but also keep people abreast of what is being uncovered. Yeah, I mean... I am really excited to get dig into this a little bit deeper with you because yeah. I feel like there were a lot of lines in this movie that um, last time, a few times I watched it, I probably wouldn't have counted as like some of the more meaningful lines to me. Right. Or I would have read them completely different uh, before where we're at right now with the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll get into specifics, I'm sure, in a yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, there's um, <laughs> so much to talk about. Almost almost too much to talk about. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I was thinking about canceling tonight because I don't know if we can do this podcast. There's just so much that <laughs> we're never going to get through it all. So <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll do our best. We'll see. We'll see where we go with it. I, I would go... Um, uh, for me, watching it this time, I'm, I was at a five-star. I'm very happy to keep it at five stars actually although i am on the verge of knocking it back for very personal reasons that have nothing to do with the movie um (laughs) or (laughs) it's more actually with what actually happened historically that just ruffle me such the wrong way and it's such a crucial part of this movie that it's almost enough to make me want to knock it against it but i can't because that's what happened and so you know do you want me to yeah, I guess you should say that, unless it's like <laughs> you definitely know when it's going to. It's going to seem so nitpicky to anyone right. else, but I'm a librarian, uh-huh. and it bugs me beyond belief that the Library of Congress just gave them those patron records. Like they asked the the main librarian, and he actually says, and they do frame it as if he's some. It's some kind of like not sinister, but sort of like a influenced. In, influenced person where he mm-hmm. says White House records are confidential. And I'm like, of course they're confidential. Patron records are confidential. They should always be confidential. You should never get patron records. <laughs> what, <laughs> that's a, that's such a bedrock of the American Library Association since like the 20s is that you keep... Now, it's never been something that's been demanded to be officially put in writing at every single library institution. Uh-huh. Um, and it is what happened historically, you know, they did go to someone at the library of Congress and just asked for the records and they said no. And so they went to a, a more of a clerk level position and mm-hmm. said, can we have the records? And they just gave them like thousands and thousands of records. And, um, it just bugs me so much. And now actually, I think in 1976, actually they, the library of Congress did say we will no longer <laughs> and under any circumstances release. It's important records. not to. It's yeah. the whole point that like you don't want someone to not check out something that they need information for because of what could come back sure. to them, you know. But it is also how it's kind of framed in the movie as this was an obstacle to get over and at no point in the movie does it raise the moral question of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost seen as like they got it. They got what they needed. That's great this is wonderful yeah you know? yeah 
And it is really the the needle well, in the haystack that gives them everything that it comes sort of out of that. You yeah, know, it's that it's, it's the record of them checking out the book, uh, the bridge Unto of Chappaquiddick. Yeah. yeah, that that showed that they were kind of on the right track. Yeah, that they were yeah. following a, a a trail that was going to lead them someplace. So that's the one they, area of the movie they, where I'm torn. I'm torn as on a that. librarian. Yeah, yeah because can, they also they also do this like really actually pretty impressive and beautiful shot oh, of the Library amazing. of Congress where they they and and it it does really show visually it shows mm-hmm. that sort of like meticulous just getting down Pounding in there out. and yeah. just spending the time doing the work that no one else wants to do right. to find the information you just need. Just looking at you know. thousands of slips of paper, yeah. Just doesn't make I librarians look they too do, good. They do say something like they 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 need to find somebody who's... A more sympathetic yeah. voice or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's I guess that, that clerk character isn't given much uh, backstory. Perhaps you, just seeing him get a slap on the wrist would have been nice, okay. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so that's that's a half star. It would, even though history is not contradicting contradicting that. I'm not going to bring it down. I can't do that. But okay. it's definitely something that like I noticed, and <laughs> it bugged me enough to like pause the movie. I was, oh gosh. To see like what actually happened, <laughs> because I was like, if they made that up, like yeah, that's pretty, that's so irresponsible to well, like make librarians look like they should ever do they, that. You know? From what I read, the filmmakers checked every fact yeah. that they presented in the movie. I think there's one made up scene, which is the way that Bernstein like sneaks into the office in Miami. Oh, okay. Um, that he didn't get in that way. I don't know if there was not a problem getting in or whatever, but everything else they kept checking even like they before they filmed it mm-hmm. because they wanted it to hold water they actually worked in such close relation to the post and to woodward and right. bernstein in the whole process of making the movie mm-hmm. uh and and that the post was not terribly thrilled about the movie being made about them there's an oral history you can read in the mm-hmm. washington examiner and they they talk a lot about that how bradley was pretty uncomfortable with it and mm-hmm. bernstein and and woodward were like okay i just don't want things to get too hollywood and they were very like and they had to make sure that redford wanted to make a movie about kind of the mun, mundane facts of journalism mm-hmm. you know and they started filming in the posts offices right. but then they realized it's just not going to work out yeah. you can't really have a newspaper come out <laughs> yeah. and shoot a movie in the same space so and i also read that the the, the reporters as they were working were like acting yeah and like, <laughs> and like trying, trying to, to get look, noticed look cool and, yeah yeah so well yeah all right so i'm sorry that that bothered you um, well i that's it just made me stop and once i realized that unfortunately that is actually what happened then I was okay with it being in the movie. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I would have been really, really mad to the point of like really downgrading this movie if that was one of those Hollywood things that was made up. Yeah. But it wasn't. So I yeah. I can't knock it, you know. Good. Well, yeah. We've gotten your your my librarian's librarian bu- take. bugaboo. Yeah, out. it's out of the way. All right. Um, Sorry, every listener. What, <laughs> what what do you connect to in this movie? What resonates with you? Um I'll take out the stuff that's super relevant to now right. and just talk generally mm-hmm. about what I love about the movie. I've always just enjoyed movies that are done well about journalism mm-hmm. um, because I feel like it's just one of those professions that I've respected. I've always respected mm-hmm. journalists um, mm-hmm. when, when they're doing the actual job of journalism. Right. And I think this is a movie that shows what that is, but you can go down the list 
technically speaking of this movie. And it is like a masterclass. Mm -hmm. You you can talk about the acting is great. You know, every character is so well cast. Every single character is amazingly cast in this movie. Look at the cast. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, we're not just talking about Hoffman and Redford here. I mean, you've got Jason Robards, Holbrook, you've got. Jack Warden. Yeah, Jack Warden. He's, yeah, he's one of those guys that you, like, if you don't recognize his name, you've definitely seen him if you've watched 70s cinema uh-huh. at all. Um, and uh, Ned Beatty shows up, which I was like, yeah, I forgot right. about. And yeah. I was excited to see him again. Um, the guy who plays uh, Segretti, uh, Robert Walden is yeah. his name. I thought that was a great character. Mm-hmm. Jane Alexander, who plays the bookkeeper that mm-hmm. meets with Bernstein twice, I believe. Right. Um, she's great um, because they get these great performances of that are really convincing actually of how people actually give up information, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and their insecurity in doing that. So that's, yeah, the performances you've got, I mean, do I need to just go down the credits? I mean, you've got, I mean, it's a who's who of seventies movies, really. I mean, you know, you've got uh, a script by William Goldman who, you know, wrote like princess bride, Mm -hmm. um, You've got your DP is Gordon Willis, who did The Godfather. Right. And they're all, I think, working at the top of their game in this Mm -hmm. movie. I mean, the contrast between that like stale white light of the newsroom Mm -hmm. uh, and then the dark that he pulls off in the in the garages with with Deep Throat are just so great. And the sound design, I don't know who did the sound design, but the sounds of those typewriters and just the the way that they just take you into um, that journalistic world so effectively and make something thrilling out of really the nuts and bolts of putting together a story. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's a story that should be exciting, but a movie that shouldn't be. Right. Really. Well, who, why would you make a movie about Watergate and never actually show any of the people right. who are involved in Watergate right. or any performances of them other than just seeing them through actual television footage? Right. Or hearing them on the telephone, yeah. like certain people on the telephone. And yeah, and, and telephone conversations that are just gripping. The performances of the telephone conversations, too. I don't know what kind of movie you would say they were making when they were trying to make this, but there are, there are moments where a phone conversation almost takes on like a horror movie, like body snatchers sort mm. of thing. Yeah. Especially something's that, happening. Yeah, yeah. Like that first call to the librarian. And I was just wondering if you can remember any books that a Howard Hunt checked out uh, on Senator Kennedy. Howard Hunt? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. Uh, I think I do remember. Uh-huh. He took out a whole lot of material. Why don't you hold on and I'll see? I sure will. Thank you very much. Bernstein? Yes, ma'am. I was wrong. I beg your pardon? The truth is I don't have a, a, a card that says Mr. Hunt took any material. Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, I don't remember getting material for... I do remember getting material for somebody, but it wasn't for Mr. Hunt. Right. The truth is I didn't have any requests at all for Mr. Hunt. Oh. Uh, the truth is I don't know any Mr. Hunt. The way that they ended up portraying the sort of intangible thing that Woodward and Bernstein had uh, an ear for, you know, like uh, this instinct that that the words that the person is saying, that if you read a transcript of the phone call, you wouldn't 
think there was anything there. Sure. But yeah. their 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 feel for people just comes through so clearly. And and like the notes he's taking during those phone calls are just like gripping. Yes. Like yeah. when and he taking just writes, notes is gripping, period. Yeah. Like I love watching them scrawling in fact I like oh my gosh. I often take notes on my computer and I was like, I'm taking notes in my notepad. I noticed, today. <laughs> I noticed you have your book out. I <laughs> I always take handwritten notes when I watch the movies. But uh But I found that like it was great just to mm-hmm. write down stuff again and I I was like, there's something really cool in the movie about them just yeah. jotting down notes and like he's got his notes <clears> on the napkins he's pulling out when Mm-hmm. He comes back from um, his conversation with the bookkeeper. And- yeah. Without really walking us through how they take notes, you get a very quick sense of how they take notes. And then there are scenes later where they're on the phone with someone. And it's it's a scene with Bernstein where he's talking to John Mitchell. He's yeah. talking to the attorney yeah. general. And Bernstein is just writing furiously and still sort of asking questions and still talking. But then you kind of realize, oh, he's just trying to get... It's almost like the scene where the cops are trying to trace a call and they're like, keep him on the line. Yeah. Like he's just keeping him on the line until he can get every word written down verbatim. And uh-huh. then once he hangs up, he just drops the phone and like he was never yeah. even really yeah. in the conversation. Manager, but on March 1, Mitchell personally approved withdrawals from the fund. All that crap. You putting it in the paper? Well. Like it's all been denied. You tell your publisher, tell Katie Graves you're going to get a tit caught in the big ring if that's published. Christ, that's the most sickening thing I ever heard. Sir, I just wonder if I could ask you some questions. What time is it? It's 11.30, sir. 11.30? Morning or night? It's 11.30 at night, sir. Oh. Sir, the committee to re-elect has issued a statement to our story, but there are just a couple questions. Did the committee tell you to go ahead and publish the story? You fellas got a great ball game going. As soon as you're done... We're going to do a story on all of you. Sir, there's just a couple of questions. I'll call my law office in the morning. Sometimes uh, getting the cold shoulder and getting yelled at is like the best thing that could happen to them. You know, basically he just starts threatening the post mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, this is awesome. Yeah, you know? if this was, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you really get a sense for how that works and how they have a really good knack for it and that they're thinking like three levels beyond the conversation. I just don't know how they even thought to like capture those moments yeah. that way. I mean, almost everything sh- is shot in that dual focus, mm-hmm. Redford or Bernstein or whoever's in focus, but the background is also in focus. And there's yeah. kind of that line in the middle where you can see that the, the lenses are kind of meeting. Yeah, that's Willis's use of, there's a, I was reading out that, that's, there's a, it's called the split diopter. Right. It's, a, it's a camera that lets you get the full focus in the background and foreground. And that's used a ton in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Because there are lenses you can use where it would all be in focus, but Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to get the close focus. And there's times where like you just see Woodward at his phone and he's been at his phone and there's kind of jump cuts and the background just keeps changing. You see how much stuff has gone on in throughout the day at the post and Woodward's just been at his phone. Like he's been sitting there this whole time. Um, so partly it shows like the dedication of Woodward and the single focus he had while everything else was going on. But also, yeah, this is just a paper that was one story among many. And right. it, they had to fight to get it on the front yeah. page. And and I love the, the details. Um, I noticed this time at one point, this was early on in the movie. It's one of the first com- phone conversations that Woodward has. Um it's just this little detail that I was almost like, that looks like a mistake. I wonder if it'll have continuity in the next shot. But one of his sleeves is slightly rolled up mm-hmm. while he's on the phone. Like, these are reporters that 
they don't care how they look. Yeah. And it's almost like there was a detail put in there by a, a wardrobe person just to show that this is not like a Hollywood type movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're not even going to worry about if your shirt is on correctly. His sleeve is like awkwardly rolled up. Like, and I was like, fix that, fix that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, he's so focused in that moment, yeah. you know, yeah. in, in what, in what he's doing and what he's trying to get out of that phone call. Yeah. And I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. It was kind of folded past his watch a uh-huh. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you talked about sound design, that scene in the Library of Congress uh, where it starts off on like a, a very tight close-up of their hands mm-hmm. flipping through the cards and the sound is just... The cards they never should have had, by the way, right. but yes. Yeah. The cards that they did have. Uh, and <laughs> but the, I know what you mean. The, yeah, the sound, sound is exaggerated yeah. of them just flipping through the cards and as the camera pulls back and pulls back and pulls back, all you hear is the sound of yes. the cards yeah. and maybe the music has come in. Yeah. But, um, you don't get the you get the distance of the aerial shot, but you never get the distance of what's actually happening right. with your hands. And that's so. something that that happens a lot with the sound is that it almost seems simplistic, but they just isolate the important sound mm-hmm. and crank it up. But then there are other times where the background of the newsroom is yes. constant, yeah, and not quite rivaling the conversation, but it's just like this like churning sort of machinery that's mm-hmm. working, yeah. You know, let's let's talk a little bit more about the sound. We actually had that uh, voicemail from our listener, Matt. He uh, talked about the sound being something that he really noticed a lot in this movie. It's one of his favorites. So let's just play that voicemail and, and see what he talks about. Hey, guys. This is your uh, pretty faithful listener, Matt, calling. Um, just heard you guys are doing this movie, and it's one of my favorites. I'm curious to see if you think it still holds up. I just wanted to call and talk about a few things. I mean, obviously, the acting in the movie blows my mind every single time I watch it. The one thing I really want to talk about, uh, I think the first time I saw the movie, if I'm not mistaken, it was senior year. I did a semester of film school, and I was I was kind of, I think, for the first time impressed uh, upon just how much sound is important. And, you know, right from the get-go, you've got the punch of the typewriter. But the atmosphere of that movie and, like, the silence paired with uh, certain sound effects, which maybe are a little bit heavily done, like Robert Redford's shoes when he's uh, running away from, I guess as it turns out, nobody that one night... I also love the voices in that movie and the uh, array of voices you have from like, I mean, obviously you can listen to Jason Robards talk all day long with his grappley voice, but uh, Hal Holbrook's kind of raspy voice, Redford's got a great deep voice, and then you've got, you know, Hoffman's, you know, it's a little bit, uh, what, nasally or something like that, and then, um, oh, the Segretti character, his voice is almost kind of whiny, um, Seventh Heaven guy has that kind of deep voice, but it's kind of softer too, so I don't know, there's something about the sound of that movie that I think always draws me in. Anyway, uh, glad you guys are doing it. Curious to hear your thoughts. Now I'm kind of thinking maybe I should go see it again. So some good good examples there. I, I noticed the the footsteps too. Robert Redford's pretty paranoid in that moment. Yeah. Um, and how they just sound so loud and kind of empty. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing else yeah. around them, you know? It just heightens his isolation yeah. and, the, and how he doesn't know who's involved. He doesn't right. know whose toes he's stepping on. I, uh, I loved, I mean... Talk about endings that just leave you stunned. I mean, I feel like the sound is what's writing the story at the end of that. Um, The 21-gun salute as Nixon's being um, sworn into the office, Mm -hmm. and you're hearing the gunshots, and they're loud as hell Mm -hmm. with this typewriter sound that's typing out all the different headlines of the stuff that would eventually be his downfall. And they're overlapping with each other, and they're getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And then it's just silence and the credits roll. I love that. Yeah. 
it just leaves you so stunned mm-hmm. and the message in that couldn't be more clear but it doesn't doesn't feel like it's hitting you over the head even no, though it sort right. of is <laughs> yeah it's pummeling you with bullets almost but yeah. like the power of the press to bring down the powerful who well, misuse their power you right know? yeah you've kind of got the both sides taking shots like yeah. you open the movie with the typewriter sounding like gunfire and it was and actually. it was gunfire. It was a mix, actually, yeah. of uh, gunfire and like four or five typewriters and the crack of a whip. Yeah. And uh, so you open with that, just the typewriter kind of firing the first shots. And then in the end, you've got the 21-gun salute from the TV almost firing back mm-hmm. as the typewriter just keeps this machine gun of yeah. rounds and fired off. And then the silence is almost like, and we know who won. Yeah, the typewriter battle. gets the last word. Yeah. Yeah. But... I also, and I think this was something that Matt Singer wrote about, but the use of television in this movie is pretty subtle. But if you think about what's being shown on TV versus the the reporting they're doing, this movie is a very strong treatise on television news Mm. because all the news reports that they show and kind of, you know, by, by extension, what television news reported on wasn't what Woodward and Bernstein were reporting. They weren't following the story. Right. The TV reported the White House's response. And so it was this this idea that TV will be the mouthpiece of the administration and that what you hear from TV is only going to be this filtered, sanitized, commodified, um, very controlled response to the facts well, rather than the facts themselves. Yes, and um, that was something I actually really noticed this time and felt like that's something that spoke to me a lot more because of our current political climate. And also I'm not necessarily equating this with Woodward and Bernstein level journalism. I'm not, but I think you're seeing that play out a little bit in even something like the release of fire and fury. Mm -hmm. There's an article in film and history back from 2006 by Jonathan Kirshner, where he was just talking about all the president's men. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it had gotten a DVD release that year or something like that. Um, And he kind of talks about this idea of dangerous journalism. Mm -hmm. And in the article, uh, Jonathan Kirshner writes, uh, quote, dangerous in part because high-powered journalists become enmeshed in the Washington establishment, their Mm -hmm. reputations and stories dependent on privileged access to power brokers. Woodward and Bernstein, the ultimate outsiders with nothing, quote, remember they were hungry, uh, had nothing to lose. Right. Um, I heard these kind of things being said about Michael Wolff and how – his his journalistic credibility is sketchy at best, mm-hmm. but that he's doing something we wish more journalists would do, which is actually to put their own reputations on the line, right. which is actually to say, I don't care if I lose all my access to the White House power. These stories need to be told the mm-hmm. way that they need to be told. The truth needs to be told uh, as dirty as it is, and even if it pisses them off to the point where I never get access to the White House again. Yeah. Um, and I thought about that as I was watching this, that part of the reason that this story broke at all is because the people who broke it were journalists who had nothing to lose. They weren't losing their access to the White House. And it really made me wonder what White House reporting at all even means. Like, what does it mean to be a White House reporter? It seems like it, it, even back then it was nothing more than just spitballing what the White House wanted you to say. Yeah. And if you were afraid to really challenge that because you'd lose your access, you know. Well, and not only that, that because they didn't have the typical avenues of access, they had to find other avenues. And people who weren't used to talking or used sure, to like yeah. if people are asking me that nobody's ever asked me this question before, you know, that he went to secretaries and uh people who 
were in on the information, but weren't the people who were going to be named, you know, right. and um, a White House reporter would probably never think to speak to no. them. They, why would they need to? They've got the press secretary right there. Right, right. Know? Yeah, I can go I can go into the press briefing. I'm not going to talk to the person yeah. who, you know. So this is this is maybe going off topic a little bit, um, but maybe on onto a different topic. And if, if we need to come back to it, that's fine. But um, I also, again, watching this movie post-2017, I, I couldn't help but notice how vital to the uncovering of this story um women were Mm -hmm. and women with consciences even though they were being threatened also knew that what they were what they had witnessed and were were a a part of wasn't right and um you see a lot more men in this movie looking to cover their bases and and protect their power and Mm -hmm. maintain their their interests yeah and granted because the men did have power it's just a fact of the seventies and probably effective today that, that the people in power were the men and the women were people in the room, mm-hmm. but not people who were taken seriously. And you, you see this with several of the, the characters, the women who speak to Woodward and Bernstein, they, they, the only reason they don't speak is because they're afraid for their safety. Um, not because they think they've got something to, some power to protect or an agenda sure. to push. And ultimately they, they can't, live with the conscience basically and and i i thought it was really amazing in this movie how women and their strength were um the main reason they got a lot of the information they did you know one of the big scenes you're talking about where a woman is actually giving up a lot of information is that is the bookkeeper Mm -hmm. uh, played by i think we said jane alexander Mm -hmm. the general accounting report said that there was three hundred fifty thousand dollars in the uh, safe of the committee to reelect the president were you aware there was that kind of funds from the very beginning? A lot of people are watching me. They know I know a lot. Was it all $100 bills? A lot of it was. I thought it was an all-purpose political fund. You know, for taking fat cats to dinner, things like that. $350,000 for dinners? <laughs> How was it paid out? Not in one big chunk. There was a list of 15 names and the amount of money given to each person next to the name. What happened to the list? It was destroyed. It was the only record. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to read a certain shot that I saw, which is when he's sitting in the living room and she's still in the, I guess maybe it's the kitchen or something. Mm And they're far apart, and between them is the the staircase railing, and it looks like bars between mm-hmm. them, like like they're both, or maybe like she's trapped mm-hmm. or something. And then as the night goes on, like she she kind of crosses that bar. It's almost like she's freeing herself, like she's freeing herself from the bars that yeah. are, that are around her. Mm-hmm. Um, or even that could just be there's a there's an information separation there, and yeah. that the two of them are far apart. And so it was a really uh, unique visual way to talk about what's happening psychologically with these characters. Yeah. Um, and and so many of these women do seem like they need to get this off their chest or they need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. But I also sense, I think the movie doesn't even shy away from the fact that in a way Woodward and Bernstein are exploiting that as well. Like they're yeah. kind of using their charm and their their demeanor to sort of 
get them to open up in a way that they really don't want to at first. They kind of they do and they yeah. don't. Well, know? I feel like I feel like Bernstein is definitely painted as somebody who tries to use charm, tries to use yeah. things. Well, there's the one that's the the first Early woman on, he talks yeah. to who says, uh, "What did she say? I've been warned about yeah, you." Yeah, my or friend something. warned yeah. me about you. Yeah, a little hard to watch now with yep. Hoffman. We can get into that a little bit later, but uh, I feel like Woodward was less charming and more. He tried to be empathetic or yeah yeah and honest and 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 appeal to a sense of justice more than anything maybe honest there's the one scene that i didn't know how to read where uh sloan says how he's been a republican his whole life and he says me too and then uh bernstein (laughs) looks at him like yeah that's (laughs) which is funny that's a white enough lie but yeah but there's that part i thought it was such a like a it was one of my favorite moments on this rewatch when um woodward is talking to sloan's wife at the door and she's trying to protect him mm-hmm. and yeah. and be you know like protect her husband from whatever could come if he if he talks and also just protect her from people that she doesn't know and woodward says it's really for his benefit and she says no it's not yeah and woodward yeah. just says no it's not <laughs> that, that's honest yeah and she she was like calling him like no you want your story but when he said no it's not it was also sort of like this needs this, do the that, right thing. That bigger yeah. that bigger sense of justice. Right. I, I don't know. I feel like most of the, the the women in this movie are depicted as having that underlying sense of justice. Yeah. That they're never none of them are telling their information for any reason other than the right thing needs to happen. And that that felt really powerful, um, especially when you watch so many other seventies movies and even the beginning of this movie where women are just charmed into things yeah. you know well and we haven't even let's let's compare that actually to who we haven't even talked about yet and that's deep throat hal holbrook mm-hmm. you know i think that what's interesting in this movie is you don't get a sense of what his motivations are right i don't think i mean he he wants them to uncover yeah, the right thing especially yeah which i think later on we would find out was probably pretty accurate you know now we know the deputy director of the fbi uh, mark felt i think yeah. was his name mm-hmm. but yeah he was kind of a number two of the fbi at the time mm-hmm. um who felt uh he was just embittered like he just felt like he was slighted and so what did you think uh now how those deep throat scenes sort of worked in the movie compared to these other ones where people are giving up information in broad daylight and yeah it's it's yeah it's interesting because he had more information than anybody right but he was stringing him along less willing to give it up right and also like almost treating it like a game yeah you know and that's what as you're watching the movie it's really intriguing and you're like oh gosh wait so yeah and you're starting to piece it together and then you get to that point pretty much at the same time as woodward does yeah well he calls it a chicken shit game game. Yeah. yeah he's like just i don't give me a hint because he says like oh you have to figure that out on your own he's like you know just tell me stop doing this and uh, it's kind of that moment where Hal Holbrook has his moment of, why am I doing this? And there's part of, like, there, he gives his reason for, for giving it out in small pieces when they jump too far. He says, he feels like they jumped too far on Haldeman. They went from, like, nobody to Haldeman, and it, it was easy to discredit that. But once that was out and it was moving so quickly, he kind of had that moment of, what, what am I here for? Um, very implied, like it's not overwrought where he has yeah. any sort of like, I do feel like if you, if you kind of look at it, the more heroic of the informants are the women who in broad daylight, who at their homes right. gave this information. You know, I think that that's a, at this point, kind of a, um, 
a stock character almost like the person who you find that has all the information and kind of lays it all out. And like we talked about, you know, Donald Donald Sutherland's character in JFK, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. just these sort of government informants who lay it all out, you know? And I kind of liked how for the movie's sake, it works that he keeps things Mm -hmm. from them. You know what I mean? Like, because you're building this mystery. Right. And if he just kind of laid it all out like Sutherland does in JFK, JFK is doing a very different thing. Yeah. You know, JFK is almost like laying an argument out for the viewer. Right. Uh, Whereas this is like, we know what happens. We, it's almost like, it's, it's interesting to me that we know how the pieces fit together. It's really a feat to me that they're able to build so much suspense and so much curiosity in something that you could easily look up on your own right. or like something that like most people at the time did know. Well, yeah. So you're, you're really only curious about this in how it unfolds. And so I think that the way that they piece, like just even the pacing of the movie, the way Deep Throat is sort of injected in time to time, mm-hmm. almost just, a, he doesn't do anything other than say you're on the right track, but that he's also just this sort of, shadowy mysterious character he always just shows up you never actually he's there already all the time yeah, you know yeah. um and and you never see him leave and yeah. you know like, almost like a spirit like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like just sort you've of seen it in other movies where they like have a dream and it's like, like ghostly type somebody, figure yeah. almost you know and he's always shot like sort of you can only see like half his face at a time and mm-hmm. it's dark and that's a way that they can just in these little you know, incremental ways ratchet up the tension a little yeah. bit, but not in a way that's Hollywood, in right. a way that's uh, fake or, you know, uh, untrue to what what actually happened. Now, there's two things in this movie that I would not have even thought about too hard before our current administration, yeah. but hit me like square in the chest mm-hmm. as I was watching it now. And the one is actually the one woman who doesn't uh, give anything up and what she says which is like do you understand loyalty have you ever even heard of the word loyalty mm-hmm. and i mean we heard that that's what trump wanted from comey yep. you know i demand loyalty right you know? and how that just to me was like oh it's all there even then you had mm-hmm. the people who were in the administration who were just they knew exactly what was going on yep. but it was party politics mm-hmm. and they didn't care mm-hmm. you know there were always people who put party before country and had no problem doing that. Well, I mean, everybody involved did that. Well, yeah. Everybody that they were naming. Yeah. But another line that felt more or less um, relevant to today is when uh, Deep Throat's talking to Woodward. I I think that's what's going on. And and Woodward is sort of incredulous. Like that, that can't be how they would have done that because it's just so obvious or so and um deep throat says these are not oh, yes. these are not very bright guys <laughs> yes i remember that it's <laughs> <was> like yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah they they did they did that that stupid thing uh-huh. and they did it that stupidly yeah, yeah. exactly so there was that and then the uh-huh. other one that i noticed was how they just flat out say nobody gives a shit you know the results of the latest gallup poll Half the country never even heard of the word Watergate. Nobody gives a shit. You guys are probably pretty tired, right? Well, you should be. Go on home. Get a nice hot bath. Rest up 15 minutes. Then get your asses back in gear. We're under a lot of pressure, you know, and you put us there. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters 
But if you guys fuck up again, I'm going to get mad. And how many times do we hear conservatives and Republicans saying the this American people right. do not care about Russia? Right. Only the press cares about Russia. Yep. And as I was watching this, I was like, thank yep. God. Mm-hmm. Thank God that the press care about Russia because we know something's there. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but like now, who would question whether Watergate was an important story? Right, right. But I just thought it was so fascinating to watch in mm-hmm. that movie how even the Post itself is telling them, challenging Woodward and Bernstein saying, no one cares about this story, yep. you know? Yeah. And like, this is front page stuff. Like, we'll put it on page eight yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't know anything about it, you would think Woodward and Bernstein got this story, were assigned this story because they were Woodward and Bernstein. Right. You yeah. Know? But that people were like, no, I don't want this. Like, nobody wants this. Mm-hmm. The, the Even the editing desks. They're like, no, this is Metro. This is, it was a break in at yeah. the hotel. It yeah. has nothing to do with, yeah. Yeah. As far as things that maybe wouldn't have resonated without being watching it in this context, there were a couple things that felt very surreal, things where people are trying to manage the truth. The way that the Nixon administration responds with just outrage, like, I can't believe anybody would say this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And then the phrase that they use, which should come back, uh, is non-denial denial. denial. Mm -hmm. When they, um, they, whenever they hear anybody saying that, that like, you know, they'll read the response or like, did you, did you get a, did you get a statement? And it's, um, yeah, these accusations are atrocious. I can't believe anybody would say such a thing about me. And they would just say non-denial denial. And then they would say like, we're on the right track. That was what they needed because they're gut told them like okay you could have said a lot of different ways that this isn't true if it weren't uh-huh, true right but you did not say all they said was they were mad that you were even talking about it right yeah yeah <laughs> um and so that was uh a little spooky i guess or whatever however it feels to be watching this um i want to talk to a little bit more about filmmaking how visually we are given a lot of stuff because mm. just the kind of not only using light and shadows where where scenes are very brightly lit or scenes are very, uh, people are walking in and out of shadows, but just visually that idea of things being obscured and things not being completely out in the open. And you do have the pillars in the, in the newsroom at at the Washington post, but generally there are no walls in that room, Mm -hmm. that, that giant room. And so just these visual things where like times where the truth is being made known in places where the truth is actually allowed to flourish and uh, times where, where things are, are, are barriers and just like yeah. the, the idea of like lack of transparency and lack of clarity trying to obscure the truth yeah. just visually kind of comes through a lot in, in different places. And also the thought process of Woodward and Bernstein that they would, they would focus on a name. They would focus on one thing right. and just dig into that. What uh-huh. is this person's name? What is the connection? $25,000, just like these details. But then also scenes where they would be talking, okay, well, what could this mean if this person's connected? How is, you know, Miami connected to Minnesota? And right. like just the way they, they, they would also take things in on a macro level and how often you have the camera starting on something very tight and then backing out, like right. there's the scene where they get into the car, the aerial and they shot, drive away, yeah. and then it backs out yeah. to the complete. You see the entire city, yeah. So visually, just the zooming in and the yeah. zooming out, and the scene where he's on the phone with Dahlberg, and then he gets on the phone with 
McCarthy or somebody else. And um, the camera starts very wide. And then just slowly over the six minutes of that shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, gets tighter gets and tighter and tighter. And tighter. Yeah. Um, just like the way that they subtly visually represent the thought process and the reporting process um, is fantastic. I agree. I was thinking about those aerial shots and what purpose they serve. And I, it, it usually is. It's just so many tight shots. And then like you get a tight shot and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so it, to me, it says kind of two things. One of which is the truth is out there. It's yeah. out there somewhere. And it's even the Library of Congress shot we talked mm-hmm. about. But it's also saying this thing is it's getting huge. bigger yeah. and bigger, that this is something that went straight to the White House and involved all the intelligence agencies and was so much bigger than just a burglary. I think one of the things that carries this movie, though, really is um, the technical aspects we talked about. And we probably missed some of the technical aspects, but just the relationship between uh, Woodward and Bernstein and the Mm -hmm. way that that plays out between Redford and Hoffman and how realistic it feels and not forced at all. Uh, And it develops very naturally. Yeah. They don't like immediately hit it off. It's not immediately perfect and it doesn't even click for very long. Right. Um, But when it does click, it's so natural and still they're distinct people p is porter l is liddy that leaves all that leaves is m m could be mccord that's out it could be mardian it could be magruder i think it's magruder i think it's magruder too why do you think because he was second in command under mitchell why do you think it's magruder i think it's magruder because at one time he was a temporary head of the committee to re-elect before mitchell i don't want a cookie We've got to get that bookkeeper to say it was Magruder. Never get her to say anything but him. Got to go back there and try to get her to say it. I don't know. There was just something about their relationship that felt really, really natural and really fun to watch and really fun to be a part of. And I like that they didn't have to be buddies, though. Right. There wasn't wasn't even an arc to that. There wasn't an arc to like, and at the end, they were best friends for life. You don't even know. In fact, they might not, they might go on not even really caring for each other that much, you know? Yeah. And they don't get involved with with each other's lives at all. It's just, it's a totally professional relationship, but they're like, yeah, it's just really great. Yeah. There's never a sense of like that they're doubting each other, right? You know, no, yeah. There was a lot of trust there, and uh, that's, I guess, that's the part of the relationship that was that came through so strongly, and they showed the trust in a way that wasn't contrived at all. There yeah. wasn't some big moment where it was like, I don't know if I can count on you. <laughs> right. You know, I've got you back. Or like, you really, you really saved my ass in yeah. there. Like <laughs> none of that, but like just over time, as they see each other work, they see. You you know, one of them may do something and the other one might kind of question it, but the results speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, they don't need to call somebody on it. They don't. And they pick up it on each other's kinda, beats. Just kind of looks yeah, at them. Exactly. Like, yeah. You get that sense of them as a unit in every scene. And the movie itself sets up their individual personalities really well, but not in any sort of heavy handed way. Right. You immediately get who Woodward is. You immediately get who Bernstein is, um, which maybe leads us to talking about Dustin Hoffman. Because sure, if we have to, but we should, we should, who, yeah. Because who Bernstein is is a little sneaky, a little, uh-huh. a little uh, persuasive in ways that maybe you shouldn't be totally comfortable with. Right? Not, not in horrible ways, but in very smarmy sort of ways. Yeah. And like the way that first woman he talks to, that scene is just really pretty uncomfortable. Having having heard what Dustin Hoffman's been accused of, right? Why are you looking at me like that? You're attractive. You are very attractive. 
You know, my girlfriend told me to watch out for you. Who? I'm not giving any names. Stuba said you work for Colson. The way he is just trying to sidle in with uh-huh. this girl and like, hey, baby. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it, it, maybe it's not what, something we have to talk about because it doesn't lean so heavily on it, but it definitely is part of Bernstein's character. It is and because Dustin it's also how he, it really you, know, well. you know how he, you notice how he even physically can just weasel his way into a door. Right. You mm-hmm. know, like it, it's almost impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I couldn't do that. Someone's got a door halfway open and I just mm-hmm. sort of keep talking and cro- encroaching my way in. He's pushy. He's a yeah, pushy guy in this movie. And, and you know, you, in, 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 part in of terms of journalism. The success of a it, journalist could be not taking no for an answer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but it just feels weird to watch. That's not going to do that. And we should maybe say, and maybe should have said earlier, we we picked this movie and Dustin Hoffman as the as sort of our not our focus for this because the point of this isn't ju- isn't totally to explore what's happening with all the me you too know, and times me too up and stuff. times up yeah but we did pick this movie before John Oliver went at Dustin Hoffman yes so this yeah. isn't we aren't we are I mean whatever it, it is what it is we weren't being opportunistic we picked and recorded no the episode we, where we, we had this. known that he had been uh alleged right. to have done some our primary focus was behavior. all the yeah. all the president's men but then thought like well with the, I hadn't seen anything with Kevin Spacey yeah or, we had to ask ourselves this know, about like, all this all the right. movies that we've grown up with that now have these yeah. men in them yeah and then seeing these men in these movies and all the president's men is maybe a, a, a very like kind of light example of it, but uh, you know it, it it does. You see sort of the implication of the sexual politics. This movie, which wasn't even about that, has these sorts of like m- the way men can treat women and the yeah. way um, as as just an as a given. And uh, and I don't know how true that is of. Uh bernstein at all like right. at the actual carl bernstein no you know i don't know if that's something that is embellished in the hoffman performance of bernstein or if that's something yeah. that they were like yeah that's that's kind of who he is too yeah. you know now we talked uh a little bit at the beginning about movies we watched um since the last time we recorded and one of the movies i saw was the meyerowitz stories which okay. is noah bombach and dustin hoffman yeah. is in that um and that was a very strange movie to watch um in light of all this stuff because even though Dustin Hoffman's character in that movie isn't involved in um, anything unseemly, there is a scene where somebody talks about how an old family friend, when she was young, um, exposed herself himself to her, and she saw him masturbating, like he was masturbating in front of her, and um, that felt. I was just like, "Holy cow!" That's like, when did they make Meyerowitz stories? I mean, it was certainly before the stuff. Oh yeah, and it, yeah. it was even released before. It was released stuff. before. It was released in the summer, I think. Right but then. Yeah, but then the two characters who are in the scene when she tells them that this had happened, they have the sort of debate. They're both like furious that this happened, and one of them calls it assault, and the other one says, well, it's not really assault. She wasn't assaulted. And so mm. they start having this conversation about whether or not, yeah, it was creepy and it was, wasn't right, and it clearly damaged her, but it wasn't assault, and she says it wasn't assault. And I guess I'm, I was kind of surprised I hadn't heard anything in connection with Dustin Hoffman and the Meyerowitz stories regarding that scene in the movie, but maybe I just wasn't digging deeply enough. To be honest, though, I mean, aside from the John Oliver confrontation, Hoffman's been one of the stories that hasn't gotten as much attention as no, a lot of the other ones Because have. it enters that conversation it, of... What's assault? What's creepy? Yeah, exactly. It's it's clearly inappropriate. But how far do we punish somebody? There's so many like 
questions and potentials and like what ifs and it's like yeah and also the one that was uh brought up was from like the early 80s not to say that because it's older it's excusable but you don't know if maybe he's changed since then like you don't right and i mean even hoffman's kind of not explanation but it was you don't know what it was like to work on a movie back then like (laughs) yeah and it's true like we aren't supposed to watch that scene where bernstein is being creepy we aren't supposed to watch it and think anything bad about bernstein no you're not supposed to we're supposed to sort of say like uh that guy yeah you know and so that was the mindset of the time and so yeah, that scene is not in there to have you call into question Carl Bernstein's character. No. At all. No. It's if anything, sort of it's to admire the, his his pluck. Yeah. To get to get <laughs> somebody to talk it. to yeah. him. Yeah. You know? Um and so there's just ugh, I don't know. Well, let, all, we we let us both be clear that there is no excuse for the behavior. Like right. there, it, like whatever context you could give it it's inappropriate, it's damaging, it's wrong, it should never have been allowed, and it should be talked about. Mm-hmm. It should be brought up. So, okay, what else can we really say as men? I can tell you my personal experience watching Dustin Hoffman in this movie with knowing what's what's happened, and mm-hmm. I can say that that scene rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain things that I, that I was like, oh, that, that doesn't play as cute as it right. did uh, back then, I'm sure, anymore. Um, but it didn't stop me from being able to be absorbed in the character of Carl Bernstein, like mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. But what that does make me pause for is, I'm giving this a five-star rating. I'm saying this is a great movie. Yeah. If a woman were to come to me and say, I'm sorry, I just can't watch that because it's got Dustin Hoffman in it. I feel like I'm at the point where I can say, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to push you into doing that. No. I'm not going to say you should really look over that fact. You, you don't should owe Dustin yeah. Hoffman anything. Right, exactly. Um, and I, that might be the most I can say, is that those scenes kind of bugged me. I'm just being honest. Other than that, I was still able to really get engrossed in not only the story, but the character of Carl Bernstein and Dustin Hoffman's performance as that character. Yeah. You know, I was able to see... Because it's not it being central to his character. No, not at all. It's an it's a it's a or the movie believable yeah. facet or tactic that he would use as mm-hmm. a journalist, and maybe because we see so little of their private life, to say that that's how he would treat women generally is too big of a leap in, mm-hmm. in interpretation. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's okay for us to feel that way about it. Right, like it may or may not be okay. I'm just being honest. It's the yeah, way I feel. Yeah. I I don't know. I, yeah, that's true. And I'm also I am trying my hardest. It's hard to be a man and actually and actually be real about saying I need to just listen. You know, yeah. like I, I've had to at work. I work with mostly women um, mm-hmm. as a librarian, and I've had to like just shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard being on a podcast where we're just supposed to talk, right. you know, and now we're talking about this topic and I almost feel like, but the only appropriate thing for us to do is just to kind of shut up, yeah. you know? And so I don't know what else to say because we don't have a woman's perspective here. We probably yeah. should have brought one in, but you know, we don't have that. And the most I can say is this is, this is how I felt watching the movie. 
um, and I'm open to whatever a woman would feel mm-hmm. seeing someone who's been accused of these things in right. any performance, yeah. you know, minor or major, whether it has to do with the actual character they're playing or not. For some reason, I kind of knew I probably wouldn't have a problem with this movie, mm-hmm. but I've got my own lines I draw. Like, I don't, I, I'm really scared to watch Louie again. Yeah. Like, I don't know, because mm-hmm. I'm a little less sure <laughs> of of whether I would be able to judge it the same way anymore yeah. or see past right. what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, same goes for, you know, uh, I haven't watched a Kevin Spacey movie since no. yeah. um, since the news has come out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'm not that eager to either. I don't know where yeah. or why I'm drawing the lines where I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, but all the president's men with Hoffman in it didn't seem like it was. I wasn't right, scared to right, watch it. Right. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly the allegations uh, against Hoffman are not the ones that are out there for Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Or for Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. But like. <laughs> I showed a clip of Pulp Fiction in my class this week. Like that movie got made because of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard to that's hard to gauge too because it's like when you're watching a movie, have I ever given much thought to the producer? Really? Yeah. I mean, other than maybe during the Oscar season where I'm paying attention to who's like really campaigning for what movies. Right. Otherwise, I don't go see a movie because it's produced by anyone. I go right. see it because it's starring or directed by someone. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Whether it's hard to define or not. I think it's just being honest to say that we all have some type of scale that we mm-hmm. put these things on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's right or not either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's just what we all do. Well, what's definitely and, not right is trying to force a scale on somebody. Oh, no. Yeah. I think all men need to just learn to shut up and to l- realize again how little we know mm-hmm. and understand. And do our best to understand and not to project our feelings on somebody else's experience. And if something makes somebody uncomfortable, if somebody has something to say in regards to these men um, and the way that they make them feel, it is not our job to correct or um, contextualize or inform Mm -hmm. on anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think maybe at this time we should uh, heed your advice (laughs) and um, just acknowledge that there is so much that we don't understand and just leave it to maybe something that uh, maybe some of our listeners can chime in a little bit more on if they would like to. Um, But uh, I would like to maybe at this point steer the conversation uh, back to all the president's men. I just had one last question I wanted to throw out to discuss uh, before we wrap this up. And and it goes back to this idea of uh, the power of the press and the specifically the work that Woodward and Bernstein did uh, to uncover the Watergate scandal. And I'm wondering, do we even live in a time where the press could have that kind of power anymore? Yeah. There was no Fox News. You didn't have this whole um, branch of the media mm-hmm. that was only meant to be an antagonist to what we would call the mainstream media, right. but what was really the only media um, mm-hmm. at the time. Right. You know, I think what is cautionary about this movie is that journalists can do all the work, but ultimately it's up to the citizens to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know if we're there anymore. I don't, I, I don't, I don't And that's really weighed on me since watching this movie. It's yeah. like, it's so easy to watch that movie and be like, yeah, power of the press, First Amendment. 
you know there's like hope. Yeah. there's hope like as long as there's journalists that are out there to gonna... tear the powerful down who are exploiting that power um this country uh, has got something good going with it yeah. you know and the way that this administration and their entire branch of media mm -hmm. um has been able to dilute uh journalism to the point where a healthy chunk of this country uh, does not trust it because mm -hmm. you know there's one thing in all the president's men for them to say well the people don't care about this it's another thing for them to say well they just don't believe you right you don't actually have that in all the president's mm -hmm. men you don't have the readers saying well yeah i read that but i, I don't actually right. believe their reporting right and they we would, have that instead now instead of saying like right it's it's more like if they were to name their sources, be like, oh, you mean the guy that took money from Harvey Weinstein? Oh, you mean the person who knew that Hillary uh -huh. Clinton was going to blah, blah, whatever? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, 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 I'm right, I'm, I'm right there with you that I don't know um, if it would make a difference. It's all faith based now. Right. People feel like, well, no, I don't believe that. And also, it's just gotten to the point that party over country is not centralized to a few people in power it's it's just the citizens are part mm -hmm. of our country now. the voters yeah and um yeah i don't care what he did i voted for him and i'll vote for him again it's uh it it doesn't feel um the movie feels relevant but a little idealistic i i guess what i find disheartening about watching all the president's men now is all the president's men seems to stop their sentence with the truth is out there. And once the truth is unveiled, justice is served. Yeah. And that's where the naivete comes in yeah. because now it's like, I mm -hmm. feel like it would say the truth is out there. So what? Yep. You know, even if convictions come down from Mueller or from anything, there's still going to be people calling it a witch hunt. Doubt. Yeah. I, I would be curious. I wasn't alive then. You weren't alive then either. I don't know if there was like a, a, a good faction or group of Americans who even as Watergate was coming out and even as, um, you know, Nixon resigned, if they were kind of like, yeah, he really shouldn't have resigned. What he did really wasn't yeah, I that wonder. bad. I or wonder. like, you know, mm -hmm. like the country would have been better off if they would have just left that story alone or, yeah. you know. I wonder. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's tough to see positive way out of mm -hmm. this i don't know it's weird because that that was in my mind as i was watching it but i still felt hope yeah. watching it like i still I felt like even if that's what happens there are journalists out there who are uncovering these things and so i i'll, I'll yeah, i just it's I'm, a good i mean yeah i'm happy i'm i'm glad that there is still print journalism and yeah. investigative journalism Here's and and I have to have hope that there's at least a majority of people who are just reasonable. You got to have hope. <laughs> you have to. What else do you have if you don't? So, Well, I think no matter what, uh, regardless of when you watch this movie, it's a, I, we both think it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a really, it was a really great movie to rewatch um, mm -hmm. just to appreciate everything about it. Because really, I don't feel like, aside from things that are colored by contemporary issues 
I don't feel like uh, there was anything really negative that I could say about the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the Library of Congress the stuff, but uh, that I could say, I would nothing negative that I would say. <laughs> they didn't have anything where like teachers are screwing up. Yeah. Well, okay. So it sounds like we're we're best buds. We're best buds. You were at a four, willing to bump it up to a five. Are you going to do that? You think is this a five star movie for you, or is it just still a really good movie? That's tough to say. Uh, I'll bump it up to five. Yeah? Yeah. Are you... I know. I mean, I was already at a five. I know you were, but you were also talking about dropping it for... I. But I explained why, I, why I couldn't. Yeah. It's not slander if it happened. That's you true. Know? That's so, true. And that's what happened. So I would have slammed it if, if that turned out to be a Hollywood fabrication. I'd be very angry about that. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a misstep by a librarian or yes. a clerk. Yes. You, were click, you were quick to point out it was not a librarian. <laughs> it ended up being somebody who hadn't been given the credentials. Right, right, right. So... Um, Best Buds. Best Buds, definitely. And definitely encourage you guys to watch this movie and watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, let's talk about what we're going to do next time. Yeah, so uh, next month is going to be February. February, which is the month of Valentine's Day. Love is in the air, yeah. uh, along with the bitter cold, probably. But Mostly. maybe. Who knows? You don't know these days. Could be 50s, could be single digits love is in the it's still in the air but it may not be cold right so with love being in the air we kind of realized we haven't uh, we've done more traditional romantic comedy straight up romantic comedy uh, before which I guess to call traditional there could be like somebody would be like you know thinking of bringing up baby or some of the more screwball comedy romantic comedies we're not talking about that we're talking more like 80s influenced uh, or in this case, actually 80s romantic comedy. <laughs> right. We're going to watch a movie that neither of us have seen, uh, but we both wanted to for, for a it's, bit now. Yeah, I we've all like. got our lists, hearing, and yeah. I've got my list, and uh, it's always been on there. Yeah. And uh, it just stares me in the face, and I'm like, I'll get to it someday. Yeah, but I never feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be honest, yeah. So Even though I think it. I might enjoy it. Yeah, I have no idea if I'll enjoy it. Yeah, um, and we we realized the episode will probably come out after Le- Valentine's Day, right? But um, the spirit of Valentine's Why, Day, yeah, tis the season, tis the season to watch Moonstruck. We're gonna watch right. Moonstruck oh, yes. with uh, Cher. That's what always stares me in the face when I'm looking at my to do list and, and the moon. Yeah, the moon and Cher, Cher in front of in it. front of the moon. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Cher, Nicholas Cage, correct? Yeah. Uh, directed by Norman Jewison. Yeah. Who, uh, who I've, I I I know I've seen Norman Jewish movies. I've seen uh, In the Heat of the Night Fiddler is a Norman. Roof. Oh, I've never seen Filler on the Roof. Actually, well, I need to. It's good. Yeah, I've wanted. It's another one. Maybe maybe it's a Norman Jewison thing. Like all his movies are movies I want to see, but haven't. But haven't. So In the Heat of the Night, have you seen that? I have seen that one. So oh, it's not. Uh, I have it's not. not no. Well, maybe it's a thing with us. Like we're combined. We have not seen any. Is Norman there any Jewison single movies? Norman Jewison movie we both seen? I honestly, if you had said Norman Jewison uh, did Moonstruck, I, I, that would have been news to me. I, I, it is news to me. Yeah, I and I said it. <laughs> well, but it's it's not fake news though. So. No, 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 no. It's well, I, it's actually, well documented. Yeah. Yep. No, I don't think there is a single Norman Jewison movie that we've both seen, and I think that's a that's a real shame. That is a real and shame. We're gonna we're gonna fix that because he's a he's a. He's an accomplished director. He's a respected director. Yeah, although he hasn't done a movie since 2003. Is he alive? I should find Sounds that Sounds like a out. terrible question. But I yeah, don't Yeah, he's know. alive. 
No, good for him. Yeah. He's getting up there, though. He's born in 1926 in uh, Toronto. Oh, a Canuck. Yeah, so I that's another reason to maybe watch this movie. How many uh, Canadian directors have you watched? Oh, gosh. Is it too many to count? Just so many. Just, <laughs> Just all the greats. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to even name one. It well, really, just yeah. to pick one out of right. the sea. Well, to pick one is to name one, and I can't do that right now. I, I just don't want to. There's just so many. I mean, yeah. It's just, there's just the, the greats. All the greats. All the greats. Like, the, all the Canadian directors that we the know Canadian and love. The Canadian directors, the French Canadian yeah, directors. The, the, the Toron- I mean, the Toronto, the Toronto Film based, Festival. Gosh, right. dang. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I didn't even need to say it. The, you know, the, the, the Toronto, the Mecca. Right. Really? Well, sure. I mean, one of the film meccas what, of, yeah. of Canada. Hollywood. I mean, the Canadian Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. You hear that? You hear that banter about all the time. Yeah. And you just forget. You forget, how, you, forget yeah. you forget the phrase just because you oh, hear yeah. it everywhere. Yeah. The movements, the Another, people, right. the festivals. It's just. The, it, uh, you've got the films yeah. coming out of there. You've got the movies coming out of there. You've got the. The industry, the, the, the industry, the actors, yeah, the, 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 the directors. I mean, the eras, the decades, the short films, the the, the feature length, animated films, documentaries. Yeah. I bet it's just overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the number of Norman Jewison movies we've seen, and it's well, not together, but the ones we've seen individually. Right. Oh yeah, I mean, it's just. It's, I mean, combine when you combine. Our, yeah, I can't even count knowledge. them. I can't count them. I couldn't either. It's just. It's it's really surprising we have not seen Moonstruck. No, um, considering it just how gets much it's lost can- in the sea of Canadian <laughs> directors. Well, it does because there's so many. Just that's there's what I'm a, saying. The, the we, depth like, of Canadian film, and you mm-hmm. know, I think that uh, this is really going to be us just filling in a gap that should have been filled in a long time yeah. ago because of how it, much we personally love Canadian it, film. It essentially has been filled in because of how much Canadian film we've consumed. It's by osmosis, I feel like we've seen Moonstruck. It's so it's a hallmark it's, of, it's Canadian of Canadian film. cinema. Yeah, cinema. Oh, I haven't even talked yeah. about Canadian cinema yet. Right? No, you were just talking about the film movies. and then yeah, movies. And the movies. Yeah. yeah, but Canadian cinema, CC as they they call it. <laughs> right. You didn't even need to say that. No, I, I know, I know. Well, I mean, because sometimes people think it's talking about closed captioning, but it's not. It's Canadian no. cinema. I, um, I've literally never thought about anything other than Canadian cinema when I hear the letters CC. Okay, good. Not about copying someone on an email. You, in fact, no. thought when you were putting a name in there that you were sending whatever email you were sending off to the I Canadian I thought it was cinema. just, yeah, you just put the names of people who are fans of Canadian cinema. I'm sure this is going to come up in the next episode, but we're going to talk about how many, just how many movies are involved with Canadian cinema, and yeah. you're going to be surprised. I oh, think. I bet you will be, yeah. And just Norman Jewison as one of the standouts of uh, yeah. CC right. directors. Yeah, and, um, and Moonstruck in particular. Right. So it's not just that it's uh, romantic Valentine's comedy Day. in the month of February. Right, it's just finally we're giving uh, CC its due. It's due, yeah. Yeah, and I'm excited about it. And so it's going to be the, the 80s romantic comedy, I, we're thinking. We we're hoping, yeah, it. we have yeah. no idea. If- and if the, the IMDb uh, subject headings, comedy, drama, romance, are accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, and that's, that is, strictly. comedy, drama, romance, that is Canadian cinema, <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> I don't even think Moonstruck is a Canadian film. 
<laughs> I think just Norman Jewison sure. was born in Toronto. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, But that's, honestly, that's just the essence of Canadian cinema, right. too. Not, it's not all movies that came out of Canada. It's people who were born in Canada who then came to just Hollywood. Just really it's bring a, that. It's that Canadian. Kind of like spaghetti westerns, the, the Italian directors school. coming to, yeah, exactly, the Canadian school, yeah. I mean, yeah. So watch Moonstruck. Yes. And, uh, whether uh, or not you've seen it before, we'd love for you to watch it with us. Tell us what you think about it. Um, always tell us what you think about it. You know the movie we just talked about. All the President's Men, in case you forgot. Which, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a new year. So any suggestions people have for mm-hmm. movies that they want to hear us discuss yeah. uh, would be great to hear as well. You know, we've got a whole new year's worth of movie anniversaries, mm-hmm. a whole new year's worth of months. And stuff that happens in those months. Well, uh, we only have 11, well, 10 now. Right, right. You already chose January and February, but 10 10 months months. worth of events and holidays and and, Mm -hmm. uh, annual occurrences. Yeah. So let us know. There's a lot of of ways you can do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, there's a couple. But one of them is uh, Facebook. And um, we're still getting those uh, listeners from the Philippines. Yeah. So uh, welcome again, (laughs) Filipino listeners. And uh, but you can always find us. Just search "Can We Still Be Friends" podcast and uh, like us. If you like us on there, then you'll catch some of our updates. Although the algorithm tends to drown us out with that algorithm. Yeah, there is Twitter. Uh, Our handle is CWSBFC, not standing for Canadian. No cinema. That's you the, would assume, but no, you would. But it's, this can, can can we still be friends? Yeah, which is actually like sharp listeners will know that's actually a nod to Canada. Can- oh, Canada, oh, I was Canada. Like, we still be yes. Friends. You're right. Yeah, and it's also a, a triple meaning. There's the Cannes Film Festival as well, and right. so we leave out the le- extra letters there, but mm-hmm. that is a nod to that as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of secrets. In I, this I don't want. I didn't want to. I mean, we're, we're this will be our 60th episode right. of Moonstruck. Um, I I didn't. I wanted to. I wanted to see if people could find all the layers. The nuggets, so far, people yeah. haven't. But really, dig into those words. <laughs> can we still be friends? We've told you two. Uh, the first we got you started with can yeah. Canada we still be friends and also can we still be friends can of course French uh, which is always a nod back to, to French Canada Montreal yeah right. mm-hmm. um, but there's more there there are definitely there's so many there more. are things there are in so there and I, there's even stuff about that first word I don't want to say don't don't give too much okay, away. but don't give too, it's just I think now it, people it, know to there. look right. I think for a long time we were like, why aren't any? Why mm-hmm. isn't anybody noticing the the layers and the depth to the right. name of our podcast? Yeah. And I feel like now you, you've been given a tip as a the listener. lids off, so. and yeah, it's uh, there. And ah, I want to say, I, 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 I know, I want to say it. I I'll just say, it. Okay, I, won't, I, won't, I, will, I won't, I won't say it. I will. How about? I won't say it. I'll just say question mark. That, I, I didn't even see, think you were going to give them that much. I, I know, wasn't I know, give I know, I know. But I'm being nice. I'm, I, oh yeah. gosh. All right, now I'm excited to hear what you guys. <laughs> I mean, it's right there. Nate, Nate's practically. I practically spelled spoiled it out. Yeah, yeah it's. Um, but it's, I just got so excited. I want people to. Find I just didn't think you were going to go with like the one that's so controversial. But right. it's good. It's yeah, good. It's yeah. good. It's good. Uh, there's more. <laughs> there's definitely more. And if you find something out, you can always uh, email us. Yep. Uh, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. That's yeah. the email address. Right. Um, and that one's just an email. There's not a lot it's of a regular email yeah. in there. Um, yeah. Uh, but then we also have uh, the ability for you to call us uh-huh. and uh, leave a voice message. The number is uh, 847-306-9532. Mm-hmm. 
And as always, uh, you know, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, it goes a long way. And uh, nothing better than just telling other people about it. And, yeah. Uh, finding friends that you think might like what we what we do and uh, passing it along. I feel like there were a couple people I saw on Facebook who were saying that this year they wanted to get into podcasts. Hey. And they were putting up stuff on their feeds of like, hey, what podcast what should, should I listen, I listen to? to? Yeah. So, hey, if you haven't already done that... Uh, you know, a little shout out would be nice. It'd yeah. be nice to, uh, you know, have other people join the party. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And um, we will catch you next time when we discuss Moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs>